If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. What goes on behind the scenes at the Social Security Administration after you file your claim? Today, I'll be interviewing attorney Pete Harris, a disability lawyer based in Nashville, Tennessee. Before entering private practice, Pete worked as a disability adjudicator at Social Security for over 20 years, and he can speak with firsthand knowledge about why deserving claims are sometimes denied at the initial and reconsideration stages. We also discuss why cases arising from some medical conditions are almost never approved early, but with proper development, these same cases can be approved at hearings. But you can't relax just because you have a case that should be approved early. And Pete offers several very actionable suggestions about how to avoid simple mistakes that can doom even the strongest claims. Pete holds nothing back when expressing his thoughts about the Social Security disability process, so get ready for some very frank talk. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the uh, SSD radio podcast. Today, I have a guest. Um, Pete Harris, an attorney in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we're going to talk about Pete's career prior to becoming an attorney as actually an employee of Social Security. Uh, and uh, we're going to basically talk to him about what he learned uh, as an employee and how he's uh, used that to help his clients. So, Pete, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for your, for your time. Thank you, Jonathan. This is great. All right. Very good. Let's get right into it. So I understand that you previously worked for Social Security. Um, when did you work there? What did you do? Um, and how did you get the job? Great. Well, I'll tell you, I started my career fresh out of college. Uh, had always wanted to be a stockbroker. Started that, uh, worked there for a little less than a year when my father got ill and uh, my mother asked me to come home and be with them. So I basically quit and went home. Uh, After about two weeks of being at home, I received a phone call from a gentleman that had went to my school that had currently worked at the Social Security office who invited me to come on down and interview for a job handling, quote unquote, the investments of the Social Security Administration. (laughs) Little did I know that uh, I would end up being a claims rep. For the Social Security office. So and it's claims rep, you mean an adjudicator, someone who reviews adjudicator. Okay. Yes, sir. The person that actually takes the claim and interviews people for disability and processes their claims. Tell me about that, because you know, that's one of these things that, you know, obviously we deal with adjudicators, but um don't really know what they do. So and I realize it may have changed a little bit, but when you did it, I assume it's probably pretty much the same. Take did- me through the day of an adjudicator. What did you do? How did you handle claims? Well, I think first you should probably know who works in the office. And generally when person first, first walks in the door, the person that you first see is called a service representative. And that person is basically trained to handle uh, very general issues, social security cards, updates, things like that. 
benefit verification letters, that type of thing. And then you'll have two other types of employees in the back. You'll have people who handle Title II of the Social Security Act and Title 16 of the Social Security Act. So you'll have two different um, people in the back who are claims representatives or adjudicators that handle either Title II or Title 16. Title 16, of course, being SSI, Title II being everything else. And I handle Title II. So basically, it, from start to finish of the claim, from interviewing the person, getting all their medical records, getting all their doctors, all their background data, all their work history, screening them for different types of entitlements. Um, then we would forward that claim to the Department of Disability Termination Services where a medical decision would be made. Once a medical decision is made, it's sent back to the office, to the adjudicator for them to handle any post entitlement issues and then eventually put that person into payment status. All right. Now, so were you working for the state agency, you're working for social security, I'm working for social security. Okay. Okay. So the adjudicators are actually employees of, cause I was a little confused about the adjudicators work for social security or the state agency. No, the yeah. The adjudicators at uh, social security work at social security, but they don't make a medical decision there. Okay. Medical decisions are made by the state agency. Okay. And, and, the, and the state agency, obviously every state has contracts with social security, as I understand it. And correct. they provide, and they, these are actually employees of the state and they provide what I assume these are medical consultants, retired doctors, things like that to uh, evaluate the yeah. claims. I don't know that they're doctors, but they're, okay. they're <laughs> oh boy. Okay. They're, they're just, they're just people there that, that basically what they do at a DDS or disability is they're just checking to see if a person meets a listing. Okay. If they meet a medical listing, they're approved. If they don't actually meet that medical listing, it's denied. That's, you know, that, that, that's actually a really good point to make because one of the things that, and I'm sure you get it as well, I have people call me and say, you know, I don't know how they could possibly turn me down. You know, I've got all these things going on. And my response typically is, well, they probably, you probably don't meet a listing. And the listings are really difficult to meet, especially now, for example, musculoskeletal, they just changed that listing in April of, of 21, make it much more difficult. You essentially can't, you have to show you can't walk. I mean, it, it's pretty, pretty intense. Um, so a lot of people out there, obviously, that, you know, maybe meet a grid rule or maybe have a really good functional capacity argument, but they don't meet a listing. And so they get denied. And, you know, what's really sad about this is a lot of people give up. They, they get this letter saying you're not disabled. They give up and they apply again. And by the time they get an attorney involved, it's maybe two or three applications later and they've given up or lost thousands or you know tens of thousands of past due benefits so um, i think that's just it's really I, I, the point i'm making for everybody listening what pete just said is that and it's really important if you're not listing level and i guess there are some exceptions but for the most part you're not listing level you're probably going to get denied at initial is that a fair assessment uh, that's absolutely fair Okay. Okay. And obviously you've got the compassionate allowance and the Terry cases, which are sort of subsets of meeting a listing. These are people that have really, really serious uh, things going on as well. All right, right. So basically you send the file to the state agency for an adjudication, which, and you said something interesting before, these are not necessarily medical doctors. Um, who are the people who are making the medical decisions? Uh, somebody they've hired off the street oh, that boy. they're paying that they're paying about $30,000 a year to. That's it. They're, oh my gosh. Okay. They're not medical doctors by any stretch. The DDSs have a notoriously high turnover rate uh, in terms of employees. Uh, it's a very low paying job and it's a very stressful job. Mm -hmm. uh, when you've got 
stacks and stacks of medical files on your desk and you have to start turning out decisions, it's very easy to say no. Yeah. And again, all they're looking at, these aren't doctors, these aren't psychologists, they're not, it's, it, it comes down to, does that person meet a listing, yes or no? If they don't, it's kicked. And I think the other thing, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, I see a lot of cases where when you get the denial notice, two or three of the doctors, sometimes a, a, a main treating doctor is not included. Is that just because the doctors don't respond in a timely manner to uh, the request for medical information? That's it. They usually yeah. give it a couple couple tries, and then beyond that, it's they got to move on to the next case, and yeah. they're done. You know, one of the things that, that I've been telling my clients a lot is that you know one of the things that you want to do if you're applying on your own, you know, call your doctor's office and get the mailing address for medical records, because mm-hmm. the facility itself where you treat may not be the place where medical records are requested. So if you give the address, you know, one two three Peachtree Street, and that's where you go see the doctor. But the medical records request is someplace in North Dakota. By the time it gets there, the time has passed and the adjudicator says, well, I don't have it. I'm just going to make a decision. Correct. And that kind of what happens. That's that's it entirely. You got it. <laughs> wow. OK, well, that's uh, that's, uh, you know, I, I, it's really frustrating, obviously, for folks who are applying because, again, they don't necessarily know this. And it's uh, I guess that's what keeps us working. But uh, it's just really, really crazy how that situation, how that uh, the system works. So uh, give me a sense um in terms of the people that, that work, your, your supervisors, was there any, did you ever get any sense of any kind of an attitude, any sort of a, a sense that, that these were just claim numbers? These are people who just got to process through? Was there compassion? What was your sense of the, the, the management people at Social Security? Uh, very little compassion from management. Um, the issue is um, it's very much an atmosphere of we're going to put out fires. It's a very much an atmosphere of churn the work. It's not an atmosphere of let's take our time and do things right. Now they'll say that, mm-hmm. but that's just not that's not accurate at all. Um, again, it's 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 like a cattle call. Bring them in and get them out quickly, quickly, quickly. Hurry up. Uh, I mean, there's there's agency goals for how quick you got to answer a phone call. There's agency goals for you know how much time you've got on a claim. Um, it's, it's a very much a hurry up, hurry up, hurry up type of it. Now they're not going to put that in writing and they're not going to say that, but that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Um, it's, it's move them out, get them out, get them done. Yeah. And I will say this. I mean, I've had, I ha- I've had adjudicators as paralegals before. And I know in the case of one woman that I wor- worked for me for a number of years, I think she wanted to do the right thing. But I think one of the things that she told me was that just this constant pressure of getting these files turned over. That was the big thing that she, she reported to me. And I, I guess that's, that's what you're saying. The same thing, just a lot of goals to get these things moved through. And it's just as easy to say no and move it along as opposed to, uh, you know, finding to get a case approved. Yeah, no, I think that there's a there's a distinction that needs to be made between the actual adjudicator, the person who takes the interview, and management. I think you have some very, very good employees that care deeply about the public in terms of the actual adjudicator. When it comes to management, it's very goal-oriented. It's numbers-oriented. How many interviews did you take today, Jonathan? Mm-hmm. I expect you to take six. I don't care if you do them right. You mm-hmm. just got to do them and God help you. If you don't do the, the amount I told you, then you're, we're going to have a discussion about that. So it's, it's very much a, that's it's quick, 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 qu
Got it. Um, all right. Well, you obviously looked at a lot of applications and we touched on this a little bit, you know, one being that, you know, a claimant may not have the right address for the doctor. What other mistakes um, when you're looking at applications, what are the mistakes were you seeing that claimants made? Oh, wow. Um, there's several, but I think I could narrow it down to a few. So having worked there for 21 years, I could tell you when someone came in, there's three big things. I think one you got to have all your doctors listed. Um, it's not enough to come in and say, well, I just don't feel good or I was sick and I can't remember the name of who I saw. You've got to have the doctor's addresses, contact information, and at least a general idea of when you saw them. Because uh, again, under the backdrop of hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, when you come in and you don't know that information, I could kind of look it up for you Googling it and, and trying to figure it out, but I'm not going to spend that much time with you. If you start fumbling around, I'm moving on to the next question. So I think step one would be make sure you have all your doctors listed, all of them. And I don't care if you saw them one time, I would list every single one. Mm -hmm. Step two, you need to know where you've worked and what kind of work you've done. It's not good enough to say, well, I used to work at Walmart for a couple of years, but beyond that, gosh, I just don't remember anymore. Uh, what, what, what clients don't know, what the public doesn't know is like, you, like you've already hit on, it's a functional capacity thing. Can you do your past work? Can you, be, can you be retrained to do similar type of work? Well, when you don't have that on there, it, you know, what can you do and what can't you do? What have you done? It's not enough to just list one job when you're 40 years old if you've had dozens and not list kind of what you've done. So uh, again, I wouldn't expect everybody to list every single stinking job they've ever had their whole life, but you need to be able to list the majority. I think the other thing too is know what medications you take. When you come in, it's not enough to say, well, I don't remember. Dr. Ginsburg gave me something, <laughs> but it's for pain and I don't know what it is. Because as an adjudicator, I'm not putting anything to that question. I'm not going to spend time with you. I'm not going to let you call anybody. The answer is going to be zero. That's not good. You need to know that. And, you know, that's, it's easy to call your pharmacist and say, give me a list. They'll give it to you for free. There's lots of stuff that you can do. So, and the, the other big thing is, is just filling out paperwork. When they send you a function report, fill it out. When they send you a pain questionnaire, fill it out and turn it in. You're probably getting the impression already that these are all basic, easy things mm -hmm. that people should do, but most people don't do them. And that's a, that very detrimental to their claim. Um, so I, for me, what I do, and my, I focus on doing the basic things right, and it seems to pay off. And I always knew as an adjudicator when someone came in, you're not getting approved unless you could tell me your doctors. Mm -hmm. You're not getting approved unless you could tell me what meds you're taking. I mean, you may get approved at the hearing two years down the road, but you're not getting approved now. Yeah. If you want to get approved early, you got to have your, your T's crossed, your I's dotted, and it's got to be done the way you have to fit within their system, not the other way. Correct. Around, right? Correct. And um, that's where people really, really mess up. Don't know where to begin. Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? What to do if you're denied? How to avoid common mistakes? 
and my ever-popular How to Avoid Trick Questions from the Judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the Survival Kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay. Act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. I'll actually find even at hearings now, judges, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about video hearings and, and, and audio hearings in a second, but um, I'm finding that judges are asking clients to go over their work history in detail at hearings and realize you've got 45 minutes at a hearing. You better know that stuff. And so I'm mm-hmm. literally giving them a printout you know, of, of the earnings record, and we go through you know, pre-hearing and make a list of all the places that my clients have worked because judges want to know that. But uh, you're saying it's really important to know that early on. And if you don't know, it goes down as a zero, which is not obviously not going to help. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right. right. Um, uh, anything else? Or is that those the main things just kind of following the paperwork? Well, I think I think my advice would be if, you know, to like a, a, a sibling of mine, if they're filing on your own without an attorney, get every single doctor you can mm-hmm. get every single employer that you can. You need to know it. List every single medication that you can. If you're not going to the doctor, start going to the health department. It's usually free or low cost. Start going immediately and go regularly. If they send you paperwork, make darn sure you fill it out thoroughly, return it. And the other thing is uh, um, uh, keep your appointments to your, to your consultative exam. If you got to go, go. Make sure you tell them stuff. Do all those basic things right. And here's the final one. Make sure you appeal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't miss your appeal. Right. I'm, 60 I, days, not a long time. No. I get so many people who come in who, who want to file for the first time. And I was like, have you filed before? Well, yeah, I filed two years ago and I just didn't want to mess with it. And it's like, well, now you can't file. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you were disabled then, like I believe you are now, but you're stuck. You're stuck. You, you, and I, I, my heart goes out to those folks, but. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yep. And, uh, now I'm going to add, I'm going to add one more tip um, if I may. And that is when you're filling out the forms, remember that social security disability is about how your medical issue impacts your capacity for work. It's not about your medical problem itself. So, you know, you have to really, everything you write, you're essentially answering the question why you can't work. And you want to be very, very specific. And I'm sure you tell your clients this at hearings as well. Absolutely. Don't say I can't sit very long. You know, I can sit for 10 minutes and I'm going to stand up and walk around because my back is so, so tight or whatever it may be, but you want right. to be real specific, but you want to, you know, you st- avoid not very long and not very far. Those, those weasel words mean nothing. Um, right. So I suspect for the forms, it's just the same thing. You want to be real, real specific. Correct. With the Correct. forms. Um, all right. Well, tell me, um, you obviously worked for social security for 20 years. What made you decide to, to leave? Uh, wanted to do this. Um, yeah. I think early on in my career, you know, I always wanted to be an attorney and I think that I saw, you know, seeing people shuffled in and out, um, seeing a lot of huckster attorneys. And when I say hucksters, I mean by the people that were milling them. Um, and you know, there's many big firms across the country. It's all they do is they try to get as many claimants as they can. It's a numbers game. And I think that's, I've seen a lot of good people really disabled, uh, really end up on the short end of the stick by folks like that who end up getting nothing mm-hmm. and because they were just they just got caught up in in hucksters who just mill them and uh, 
I, I wanted to see people actually get approved. And, and, I th- and I think, you know, uh, when you talk about that, I just remember the first time I ever saw it, I was at a hearing office and some lawyer walked in, you know, from a, and, and again, I'm sure some of the big firms do fine work, but, you know, when a lawyer walks into a hearing office, Mr. Jones in the courtroom, and the first time they met their lawyer was 10 minutes before the hearing, that's not a great sign. <laughs> that really is no. probably not a real good sign. So um, you want to be talking to your attorney a lot, lot, lot sooner than that. Yeah. Um, but uh, all right. So. 2020, it's a very strange year. Um, what's your experience been as far as, you know, the Social Security? And I'll give them credit. I think they did a pretty good job at, at pivoting to uh, telephone hearings and, 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 you know, going to telework. What, is your, what was your experience in, in Nashville and the hearing offices you covered uh, regarding uh, these remote hearings? Well, I have a unique, I, I didn't tell you this at the start, but I should tell you, I also had a unique role at Social Security. I was an elected union official. Okay. I was the executive vice, vice president of Council 220, which uh, is over every field office in the country. So that's about 1,100 field offices, 11 to 12, somewhere in that area. So we were in charge of negotiating all those types of agreements, um, telework, um, the, 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 net, the collective bargaining agreement, all that sort of thing, and all the policies around that. So telework was something that we had always wanted, the employees wanted. We felt like people were more productive. Well, that got canceled in October of 19. Uh, when Commissioner Saul came on, he canceled that for about 14,000 employees first day that he could. Then the pandemic hit. Come March, they sent 50,000 people home within mm-hmm. about two weeks. Mm-hmm. That created a massive, uh, a massive problem because Social Security is not set up for virtual stuff. I mean, uh, they're still using COBOL and all their systems, <laughs> which is a Oh, yeah, 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 it's a 40-year-old programming right. language. Um, printing things remotely, uh, you know, they don't do that. Um, most of the printing takes place in the local office, which means mailing takes place in the local office. It's very much paper-driven, manual paper-driven in the local office. So that really put a hamper on people in terms of like printing basic forms and mailing them out getting basic forms from people and accepting them. We did a really good job of taking appointments by phone uh, and doing things online. But again, the back end of that, all the forms and all the paper and all that stuff bottled up. Most offices right now across the country are five to six weeks behind in opening their mail. Um, So that's been a massive struggle that Social Security is really just unprepared to deal with. And haven't seen anything yet on the horizon, which uh, indicates they're ready to deal with it. There are rumors, and I will stress that it's just a rumor, that they're going to be opening back up the offices, at least in a limited capacity, more so than they are now, starting around September or October. Mm-hmm. So I would look for you know 20 to 25% of the staff to start coming back in September and October, which will allow some people relief for in-person issues to come back in. How about with hearings? Um, what has your experience been with the virtual hearings? And do you uh, expect hearings, that to continue? Yeah, anecdotally, I would say, and I don't, I don't have any numbers to support this, but I think actually approvals are up with telephonic hearings. I agree. Um, I, agree. Uh, I don't know why, but I think, you know, I, I, I just think it is. So um, I knew, do know now they're moving to virtual hearings. Mm-hmm. They're going to start doing those. Uh, 
I also know that they're going to shortly go back to in-person, at least have that option mm -hmm. here coming up soon. They're negotiating that actually right now. So don't know the specific data on that, but uh, I think it's great that the telephonic has resulted in more approvals. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my guess is that, you know, if I, I, and again, no, nothing behind this other than just my, my guess. And that is, you know, if you're a judge and you're at home and you're doing a hearing over the phone with somebody and everybody's at home, that really just sort of just really makes very clear, very stark terms, how difficult it is in the world of employment. Because if right. you're young and healthy and, and, you know, have no impairments, jobs are tough, um, you know, especially with, during a pandemic. And, you know, for someone who's got medical issues, um, it's going to be even tougher. And I think it just, it, it just, it, the reality of that really, I think hits, maybe hits home for some judges. That's kind of my sense. Yeah. Um, but again, there's no, nothing behind that other than that. And, and I think that, you know, uh, again, people, I, I think also, you know, some of the issues that I found at least with when people, people would have gaps in treatment, I think especially during 2020 judges, maybe were a little less concerned about that because the gaps in treatment were most likely caused by not being able to go to the doctor that may right. be coming to an end. But, uh, yeah, my experience as, as well was that, uh, uh, hearings, I was getting a little higher percentage approvals and, and I love the virtual hearings because again, it allows me to, to handle more cases much more efficiently than, rather than having to drive all over. I mean, Atlanta is a, where I'm based is a very large geographic area. We have, you know, three hearing offices that, that are, you know, miles and miles apart. It wouldn't practical to go to, you know, two hearings and one in Covington and one in Marietta the same day. So uh, now it is, and I can do cases. I'm sure you do as well, really from any place in the country. So it gives us right. a, a much better option to, to do that. Um, right, so, right, so, right. Go, go ahead. I'm interrupting. Well, there's a there was a I did have a couple concerns uh, earlier this year, and I don't haven't really seen the effects of it yet. But I did have some concerns. Whereas, uh, Social Security started appointing appeals judges to actually make decisions on cases that were not ALJs. Mm -hmm. That was a concern for me because those folks, unlike an administrative law judge, they're not independent. Those the appeals judges are employees employees that are rated on their performance, they get awards, they get bonuses. And uh, uh, I do know that there was a whistleblower that came out um, earlier this year, and I think Yahoo News picked it up, um, that said that, you know, they were targeting judges with high approval ratings. So those were a couple of things that was just like, yeah, that's kind of, kind of wonky. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I haven't seen the effects of that yet, or don't know what the long-term effects of that will be. I, do, I am concerned that there's people making decisions uh, about whether or not someone's disabled that are not judges, they're, they're employees of the agency. That mm -hmm. gives me pause. Sure. Um, uh, because then you could bring politics into it, which yep. is never a good thing. Well, I think politics is, is in it because I think yeah. in Congress, yeah. there's this narrative that, uh, you know, everybody in social, everybody applying for benefits is, you know, is, is fraudulent or there's a big percentage of fraud, which I have not seen, certainly. And I, I suspect you haven't seen that much of yeah. it either. Um, and certainly given the size of the program. But, uh, yeah, it's already political. And uh, I think that, you know, people who are disabled or who are applying for disability, they don't have a lobby. Uh, there's no place they can go to Congress to basically say, hey, these are, we're, you know, honest, but unfortunate. We're, you know, we just, we have to do this because we have no other choice. But uh, yeah, it's really easy to pick on people who are uh, applying for disability. Uh, easy, yeah. easy target, easy target. Yeah. So, um, 
All right. Um, so tell me about your practice. You're you're based in your music city, so I assume that's Nashville. Um, yes, sir. Tell me about tell me about your practice. How how do people find you? What do you handle cases out of Nashville? Tell me a little bit about what you do and 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 how do people how some how someone can find you on the internet? Yeah. Well, they could find me at my website at uh, musiccitydisability.com. Uh, my office is located in Madison, Tennessee. I'm actually 20 steps from the actual Social Security office here in Madison, Tennessee. I'm actually, I retired from the Madison Social Security office, and now I work directly next to it Nice. in the, in the same office park. Uh, people could get a hold of me at my 800 number, it's 888-MUSIC-70, and uh, primarily focus here locally uh, in Nashville. I do do cases out of state, uh, uh, mainly for people that I've known throughout the years, um, uh, but I try to focus locally. I think that gives it a better flair um, because I'm here. They could come and see me here. I want them to be able to come and see me and, and, and talk to me. And um, yeah, that's what I do. Okay. Very good. Do you do anything else other than social security or is that just pretty much? I do do uh, some federal employment law. Okay. I still, um, I still represent and general counsel for a couple local unions and I handle their arbitrations and um, do a little bit of federal employment law. And uh, that's just fun to do. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I I had done uh, for a long time. I did bankruptcy work and I have another lawyer in the office who does it, but I just kind of got to the point where I was busy enough with social security that I just actually find it very rewarding. You know, when somebody comes in and they can't work and they, you know, they're sincere and they really need you and you can, you know, within months or sometimes it takes longer than that, but within a certain amount of time, you know, get them, uh, you know, some money where they can live with dignity and have, have some insurance through Medicare. Uh, it's a real rewarding feeling. I get great feed, feedback and, and uh, it's just, I just feel really good about what I do. So, I mean, I, that's why I really enjoy it. Cause certainly, as you know, it's not a, you know, you, you can make a living, but it's, you're not going to get wealthy doing social security disability, but uh, right. it is very rewarding. Is, uh, so, yeah. Nothing yeah. feels better than getting somebody approved for benefits who deserves it. You see a lot of tears of joy. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. Which, which is a great, which is a great feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Pete, I think I saw the question. I, I had any other closing comments, thoughts, anything else you wanted to get off your chest or talk about uh, <laughs> since we're, uh, we're, we're, we're doing this uh, or we've pretty much covered everything. No, I, I appreciate you. And thanks for having me. And, and thanks for the videos you put out. I've, I've actually watched many of those uh, back when I used to work at social security. Okay. And, uh, uh, I appreciate what you do and thank you for all that you do. And thanks for having me here today. Absolutely. Well, very good. And uh, I appreciate it very much. And we'll maybe do this again soon. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.